If you're enjoying this Med Prep to Go Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Crush Step 1 podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Dr. Raj, and today I'm recording for the Med Prep to Go podcast. And I am super pumped up on this podcast. And what is it all about? Well, I'll be reviewing USMLE step one questions. And today's topic, I got to tell you, I'm always pumped up for it. It's going to be biochemistry. Yeah, I saw that look on your face. You're not as pumped up as I am, but hey, they're definitely going to ask these questions on the board exams. There's no way they're going to overlook glycolysis and gluconeogenesis and the Krebs cycle, you know. And today we're going to be reviewing two questions on this podcast, just two. Usually we do three, but today these are such special questions that it's going to take up most of the time. But for more questions, go to our website, which is medpreptogo.com. It's a free audio and online question bank. And to learn more about me, Dr. Raj, hey, check out my website, which is beyondthepearls.net. Check out my podcast, which is Beyond the Pearls. <laughs> what a surprise for the title. Check me out on social media. I love to meet everyone. I'm on all different platforms. And I do have lots and lots of books. My two main series series are a clinical series called Morning Report Beyond the Pearls. Great for step two and three. I also have a basic science series called Case Reports Beyond the Pearls. Awesome for USMLE step one. Let's get started. So we have a 23-year-old man presents at the clinic within a medical compound in Nigeria. The compound is running a trial looking at whole genome sequencing of pathogens in suspected infectious disease. He presents following a three months of feeling hot and sweaty at night, and he has recently noticed weight loss describes his trousers are now slipping down to his hips. His medical history includes HIV, uh, which is treated with amtricitabine. Wow, I got to tell you, these HIV drug names are tricky. Amtricitabine and tenofovir. He works as a local farmer. His exam reveals a thin, somewhat ill-appearing man. A sputum sample is obtained. And a zeal Nielsen staining shows acid-fast bacilli. That can't be good. Whole genome sequencing shows a mutation in the RPOB gene. 
causing a change in the binding site of RNA polymerase, leading to a change in antibiotic prescription due to a concern of resistance. Uh, to which of the following antibiotics is this pathogen most likely resistant to? Is it going to be A, beta-quiline, that's spelled B-E-D-A-Q-U-I-L-I-N-E, B, ethambutol, C, isoniazid, D, parazidamide, E, rifampicin, I usually just call it rifampin, but on the question it says uh, rifampicin, R-I-F-A-M-P-I-C-I-N. So really, what does this come down to as a question? Memorizing. There's going to be a mutation in the RPOB gene. Which of the following would it most likely be resistant to? So the right answer is going to be E, uh, right? Fampicin. <laughs> Rifampicin inhibits RNA by forming a stable complex with RNA polymerase. RPOB is a known rifampicin resistant gene with mutations preventing an RNA polymerase rifampicin complex. Therefore, changes in RNA polymerase as described here likely prevent rifampicin binding and preventing its effect. Betaquilin is a newer anti-tuberculous drug and inhibits mycobacterial adenosine triphosphate synthase. <laughs> resistance to betaquilin is increasing, but the mechanisms of resistance are not yet clearly defined. Changes in RNA polymerase are unlikely to impact betaquilin function. Ethambutol works by binding to and inhibiting enzymes that form the cell wall. Changes in EMB capital B gene, so EMBB gene, alter the structure of enzymes that ethambutol binds to. Changes in RNA polymerase are unlikely to impact ethambutol function. Isoniazid, which is INH, is a bactericidal antibiotic that works by inhibiting TB cell wall formation. The KATG, CATG, is the gene that encodes catalase peroxidase, which activates INH which is given as a prodrug. Variants of KATG prevent activation of INH. Changes in RNA polymerase are unlikely to impact INH function. The mechanism of action of parazidamide choice D is unknown. Resistance occurs largely in the PNCA gene, which encodes the parazidamidase <laughs> enzyme. And that is referred to as the PZASE. The PZASE activates parazidamide. Um, changes in RNA polymerase are unlikely to impact parazidamide function. Let me just throw a couple things in here. Uh, remember that if someone is suspected to have TB, and I'm looking at the question one more time, that he's feeling hot, he's having night sweats, he noticed some weight loss. If you suspect, and of course, he's at a high risk, he's immunocompromised, has HIV, he's from Nigeria, where unfortunately there is a lot of tuberculosis, that the first thing is always going to be protect yourself and protect others. So these patients need to be isolated. You need to wear an N95 mask, be put into a negative pressure room. And of course, how do you diagnose? You know, I got to be honest with you, we don't do these gene uh, sequencing. It sounds great and accurate for a U.S. Assembly step one question, but we don't do these things commonly, unfortunately. 
you know, but I do say that we are worried about resistant tuberculosis. Of course we are. Of course we are. But I do want to say that how do you diagnose, you know, TB? That you definitely need sputum. Hopefully they're going to be making the sputum. So if they make sputum, great. If not, you could do an induced sputum. If you can't even induce the sputum, sometimes we have to do a procedure called bronchoscopy. But the take-home message is, what do you do with the sputum? Well, I usually send the sputum for three things. Number one, I will send the sputum for a stain, also known as a smear, to see if it's going to be acid-fast positive. Just because you have a positive acid-fast stain or smear doesn't mean it's TB. There are a lot of other bacteria uh, that can be AFB positive, and not everything has to be mycobacterium TB. There are other mycobacterium too that can be acid-fast positive. So not only do I send it for a stain and smear, and if it's positive and it turns out to be TB, that means you're very infective, but I'll also send it for culture. And definitely during the culture, I, I could do antibiotic susceptibilities, which is very important. You know, TB is a slow-growing uh, mycobacterium, so you, the culture won't grow right away. And the last thing I'll send with the culture is a mycobacterium TB PCR. So if you get the mycobacterium TB PCR positive and AFB stain smear positive, well, hey, that's going to be a slam dunk diagnosis of, of uh, TB. Even though this is a biochemistry question, you definitely want to think about the side effects of all these TB drugs, including INH. And of course, if you don't give B6 vitamin, you worry about neuropathy, you worry about developing a seroblastic anemia, you worry about toxicity to the liver. When I think about, you know, things like rifampin in the rifampin family, of course, rifampin classically loves to cause secretions to turn that orangey red. If thambutol has a lot of eye toxicity, including uh, optic neuritis. Uh, so very important. And of course, parazinamide, we don't want to give those to pregnant uh, women. So all these things are important for the board exam. So I took the biochemistry question. If you don't mind, I added uh, some of Dr. Rogers' wonderful pearls on top of this. So our last question today is going to be a four-year-old boy is brought to the pediatrician by his mother because of concern that he has been exhibiting self injurious behavior. Now, this is a slam dunk. This is going to be buzzword central, self-injurious behavior, four-year-old boy. She states that for the past several weeks, he has been chewing his lips, biting his fingers. They have attempted to redirect his behavior without success. He has also been complaining of pain in both knees and both ankles. Past medical history significant for speech delaying. Deficiency of which of the following enzymes is most likely responsible for this patient's condition? Now, I'm going to guarantee that this is 1 million percent going to be on your board exams, meaning the USMLE step one. Very fortunate that this is not a common condition. And what is the condition, by the way? I know you know this. This is Leshnine syndrome. Uh, it's rare. Uh, but they definitely want you to memorize a lot of these biochemical enzymes. And they love asking questions about which of these diseases are associated with which of these enzymes. Choice A, alpha-glucosidase. Answer choice B, galactose phosphate uridyl transferase. C, hypoxanthine guanine. Answer choice D, muscle glycogen phosphorylase. So the correct answer here is definitely going to be C, hypoxanthine guanine phosphoribocetol transferase, the HGPRT. These names are so hard to pronounce when you're trying to record a podcast. 
Leshnine syndrome is a congenital deficiency in the HGPRT enzyme. Leshnine syndrome is an X-linked recessive disorder, so it presents in young boys. Affected individuals are able to salvage guanine or hypoxanthine using the purine salvage pathway, and this leads to increased PRPP and an increase in de novo purine synthesis. This then leads to increased purine turnover and hyperuricemia, which is going to be super, super, super important because class, listeners, learners, if you have high levels of uric acid, what type of arthritis are you predisposed to? It's going to be gout. Uh, so patients with Lestine syndrome present at an early age with neurological features of self-mutilation, spasticity, cognitive deficits. Uh, uric acid crystals can be found in the diaper sometimes. Sometimes they have an orange color to them. Uh, although there is no cure, treatment with uh, medications such as allopurinol, and who could tell me uh, what enzyme does allopurinol inhibit? Why you folks so awesome? It's xanthine oxidase. Who can tell me another drug that's a xanthine oxidase inhibitor that we use in gout patients? Oh, you guys are amazing. Fluboxostat, very good. Uh, and so allopurinol and fluboxostat can decrease uh, the uric acid, but it does not alter the neurological symptoms. I mean, it's, it, I'm just very grateful that LESH9 is uh, very uncommon. It's very rare. Choice A, alpha-glucosidase is incorrect. Alpha-glucosidase deficiency results in Pompeii syndrome, which presents with feeding problems, poor weight gain, muscle weakness, a floppiness, and a head lag in the first months of life. Answer choice B, galactose phosphate uridyl transferase is incorrect. Deficiency of galactose 1-phosphate uridyl transferase causes galactosemia in which an infant is unable to metabolize galactose and must be placed on a galactose-free diet. Galactosemia uh, may present with severe and persistent jaundice, vomiting, diarrhea, electrolyte imbalances, and weight loss. And last is answer choice D, muscle glycogen phosphorylase is incorrect. Muscle glycogen phosphorylase causes McCardell's disease, a rare muscle disorder in which glycogen uh, cannot be broken down. This can present with fatigue, muscle pain, muscle cramps within the first uh, few uh, minutes that occur during exercise. There is a learning point to this case, which is Lestine syndrome results from a congenital deficiency of hypoxanthine guanine. Uh, phosphoribotransferase, the HGPRT, and results in neurological issues, including self-mutilation, spasticity, cognitive defects, and don't forget, they get the arthritis known as gout. I hope you folks enjoyed today's lecture. You know, I kind of gave my own Dr. Raj beyond the pearls on top of the questions. And to get more questions, like I said, go to our website, www.medprep2go.com. I'll see you folks again during another med prep to go lecture.